Sony. Good afternoon, Canada. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan. Today's date is August 9th, 2021. Welcome to a special edition of Canadian Common Sense, an interview edition. It has been, well, a year and a half since we've had an interview show before the pandemic started. So I'm very excited to bring a special guest in. And now we've got him on the phone. We've got about 45 minutes, so we're going to get right to it here. He is currently retired, but he spent 27 years in the upper chamber. And that would be the Senate of Canada. And since the Senate has actually found its way into the news cycle recently, I thought it very relevant to have a good conversation with this fine gentleman now. He is retired Senator David Tkachuk. David, welcome to Canadian Common Sense. Oh, nice to be here. How are you today? Fantastic, yeah, sir. And, yeah, it's it's actually, a, a, I don't want to be, like 26 years, which is which was more than long enough, I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> 26 it is, I stand corrected. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and thank you for your service in the Senate, by the way. It's... Uh, by no means an easy job, as we're about to get into. But before we yep. begin that, when you and I met at an event with Aaron O'Toole a few weeks ago, you had said yep. something very distressful to me about your golf game, because you said when you retired, you felt you were going to improve your golf game with time. And what happened? Uh, no, it hasn't happened. Actually, I got off the golf game this morning. It was it was, it was was quite terrible, so I, I had to sit there and practice for a while. But that's golf. It's a very difficult game, and and you have a run of good golf games, and then you have a run of bad golf games. And so I'm not a quitter, so I expect that I'll be doing this until uh, until they, they bury me in a golf bag or something, right? <laughs> It'll, well, I, I love the game and I'm I'm en I enjoy it playing it well or not well. Well, see, I haven't enjoyed playing it well yet, but I'm going to keep trying. But you've given me a lot of stress yeah. knowing that it might not improve. So. <laughs> <laughs> you will improve. You just got to keep playing. Okay. Well, we'll we'll keep my fingers crossed. All right. Yeah, that's so, right. Now, um, you obviously weren't uh, an 18 year old when you got into the Senate. So, how about just let, let us know a little bit about your background and what you were doing before you entered the Senate. Well, before I was in business, I had a, a direct marketing firm. Uh, we did uh, direct mail. Uh, we did uh, telephone marketing. We did uh, fulfillment marketing, uh, which which was really a you know a, a ahead of its time. Uh, we were doing fulfillment before fulfillment was considered a a, a good part of direct marketing. And now, you know, Amazon. Everybody gets packages. Everybody gets. Uh, Everybody is is buying stuff online. Well, all that, all those orders have to be fulfilled by someone, and it's usually direct marketing firms who package the material uh, and then mail it to, uh, and they specialize in that, and they mail it to the uh, to the purchaser. So, uh, I started uh, my fulfillment uh, business uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and uh, I noticed that after their first lottery, they had a difficult time with uh, keeping their office in order, selling tickets while they were also selling lottery tickets. And I made a proposal to them, and uh, so I handled the fulfillment. So when you phone for a, a Saskatchewan Rough Rider lottery ticket many years ago in the 1980s, um, uh, you got my company who answered the phone, uh, uh, you know, fulfilled a credit card order, and uh, then shipped you the lottery ticket, and then uh, we did. So we did all the sort of back, 
the the back end work for the for the lottery and that was my business it was a great business i enjoyed it very much and i'm a marketer so it was uh, it was a, it was a lot of you know i i enjoyed the business it was a great business and it's still going on you know, with uh, another my partner daryl price in in regina still runs prairie marketing or his sons do now yeah so it's it, it, a, part, a large part of it is still going on well that's interesting that that uh you had you developed that idea back in the 80s cuz um yeah, yep. I mean, people don't really think of something I, uh, like that as being common until, like you say, the Amazon era. So that, uh, I'm that's right. Something. We we were do, we were doing direct mail products and uh, political political direct mail uh, in 1985, 86, uh, well before anybody else in the country was doing the kind of stuff we were doing. Oh well, that that's amazing. Excellent. Yeah. So now, um, yeah. were you also kind of politically motivated at that time too? I'm kind of curious how the the link comes into the get. Oh yeah, I've been I've been involved in politics since nineteen. Uh, well, I, I I grew up I grew up in the seat of John Diefenbaker. Uh, my my hometown was a little town called Weirdale, Saskatchewan, which was named after the Conservative Minister of Agriculture in the nineteen thirty Bennett government, and he came from uh, you know he represented that same area that Diefenbaker. Well, he Melfort and Prince Albert were all part of the same constituency. Diefenbaker represented that riding a little bit changed, obviously, from the 1930s. So I grew up with John Diefenbaker. I was never a socialist uh, because of my heart and then became a conservative. I was always a conservative. My father changed from the Liberal Party and joined the conservatives when John Diefenbaker became the leader. And... Uh, and then I I, uh, I ran a rock and roll business after I finished university for four years, and I, I booked bands and I ran concerts here in Saskatchewan, including uh, the first rock fence festival, which was uh, a takeoff on Woodstock. It was called Wood Tick One, <laughs> and it was and it, and it was actually very successful. It was ran on the Pike Lake Road. We had a we had a we rented property out there. And uh, we had it out there, and then the second time I ran it, I, it was at the exhibition grounds, very successful. And uh, and it was the second rock festival in the province. And uh, so uh, that's what I did for a living, and then I taught school, and then I worked for the Conservative Party to build the provincial party, which didn't exist in the 1970s, and I worked for uh, the leader at that time, Dick Culver, and uh, that's what I did until, uh, and I was an organizer in Western Canada. I was an organizer for them. I was director of the party, and then I worked for the Sokers for a while, and then I worked for five years for Grad Divine, four years for Grad Divine. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Okay, so you like you, your political. So that was sort of that sort of wraps it up. It's hard to believe, but it, it, that, that that was my career. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. It's uh, it's funny yeah. because we actually have a similar trajectory in. Uh, in conservatism, I started as a social credit in Alberta and kind of uh, migrated myself right. into uh, into conservative circles. So uh, that's interesting. So, yeah. All right. So now you were, um, I've, I actually just learned myself by doing some research that the appointment process isn't exactly how, is that Brian Mulroney directly appointed you to the Senate. It was Brian Mulroney nominated you, but you actually were appointed by, by someone else, correct? Well, yeah, the, the way the process, well, it still runs the same way. The prime minister recommends to the governor general, and the governor general makes the appointment. Oh, okay. That was, was the governor general who yeah. technically appoints you. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, 
uh, and, th- and that's exactly what happened to all appointments up to, uh, and, it's, and, and that's exactly what happens today. And uh, so what happens is the prime minister at the time consults with people in the province as to who he should appoint, and then uh, he makes a decision, or she makes a decision, and in this case it was he, it was, it was Prime Minister Mulroney, and, um, and uh, I, I had known uh, Mr. Mulroney since he ran the first time for the leadership in 1976, and I supported him. So uh, I, I knew him for qu- quite a long time, he knew me, and uh, hence I got appointed to the Senate, and I had the honour of representing Saskatchewan for 26 years as the you know, it was definitely the highlight of my life uh, outside of my kids and my marriage. That was it. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so um, Governor General at the time would have been... Raina Titian, was he Governor General at that time? Would have been Raina Titian, exactly. Okay. Uh, yep. Who, who, was the, who, was, uh, uh, who was the son of uh, the one... He was the first Ukrainian Governor General, and he was the son of... Uh, the son of Senator Natitian, uh, who who was appointed by John Diefenbaker. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. So, kind nice, of a kind of a nice circle. Yeah, yeah. that certainly is a nice tie-in. Okay, so yeah. you were obviously you know a, a young middle-aged man going into the Senate. So you, you knew how politics worked already because you'd obviously been actively involved. What yeah. were your expectations when you entered into the Senate? Well, I kind of. You know, I was a student of political science at university. I followed the legislature in Saskatchewan. I followed politic- politics continuously, and uh, both American and Canadian politics. I love American politics as well. I knew the, I, I didn't know the intricacies of the legislative process, but I knew the legislative process as, as, as a general, you know, as, as in, in the most general way. So I didn't feel lost when I got to the Senate. I felt, uh, I felt kind of at home. And of course, uh, in those days, you know, now they have this, what they call an independent Senate, which is not independent. I just want you to know. But in, in my day, we had political caucuses. And so I had the conservative caucus and, and, and they, um, they, they helped me out and, uh, my colleagues helped me out, uh, and uh, I learned the process and uh, learned to keep my mouth shut reasonably well and to just learn as much as I could and participate in committees, which I did. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a rewarding experience. And I never felt that I was, that I never felt that I wasn't prepared. Oh, excellent. And I'm uh, glad you mentioned that you also are interested in American politics. I, I am as well. And actually, uh, 20% of our listener base is from the United States. So it's... Uh... I'm glad that they are out there. Some reciprocal interest from their side of the border. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, America is important to Canada. Without, without, without America, there is no Canada. If only Canadians would realize that. That uh, if the United States wasn't United States, Putin would be marching across the North Pole into Canada, and we'd be done like dinner. And uh, we owe our sovereignty to the Americans, actually, I believe, and uh, because uh, their strength keeps the bad guys away. And there are plenty of bad guys in this world who want to hurt people, and there are plenty of bad guys who want to take territory, of which Russia is one. 
and uh, so uh, and and of course the USSR at one time, and uh, we've always had treaties with the Americans to keep ourselves uh, to keep ourselves protected, and the reason the Canada United States wants to keep us protected is because we're a line of defense for them, and uh, they don't want to see the Russians walk walk across the North Pole because then they're next door. Yeah, absolutely right. So I love I love the Americans. I love the Americans. I always have. I think they're a magnificent country. I think they're going through some terrible, terrible nightmare problems now. But they're, uh, but it is, uh, but they, but they're. I always believe they were important to Canada. And uh, from the time I was, from the time I was in high school, frankly, and uh, and so uh, and I and I and so I've kept up to them. I studied American politics and American history in university as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I agree with you that the United States is vitally important to Canada. And I mean, when I first started in the trucking business, I was all over the United States and I've uh, really grown fond of that country. I love Americans. They're very warm and uh, open people. So yeah, uh, yeah, you'll never hear me complain about our neighbors to the South. My grandson's American too. So now I have blood ties. Oh, there you go. So well, he's, not, he's, he's 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 a joint as a dual citizen because right. my daughter married an American and uh, they have a 16 year old son. Oh, excellent. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, well, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about your visit at least a little bit at the end of the show. So I uh, I do want to jump into the Senate itself, into the nuts and bolts. So um, people in Canada don't know a lot about the Senate, other than we hear that you know that's where the connected go to die, and. But it's it's more than just the quote unquote sober second thought. So, what does the Senate actually do for a living? Well, the, the Senate goes back historically a long a long way. And if you don't mind, since we have the time, just to just so that the people who are listening get a little perspective. Absolutely. The Senate the Senate itself is there and is probably. I think without the Senate, we may not have had a Canadian Federation. Uh, that would be my that would be my guess. Uh, first of all, when when McDonald uh, and others uh, were discussing the Canadian Federation, the maritime provinces had a big problem, and their problem was the population of Ontario, Upper and Lower Canada at that time was large, and therefore they felt threatened by representative government. They they thought that they would be overwhelmed by that population. And they were probably right. They probably would have been overwhelmed. The, the Quebec also feared uh, Ontario and the Maritimes because they were Catholic, for one thing, was very important to them, and they were French, very important to them. And they thought they would lose their sovereignty. MacDonald, who understood politics and also understood the American system. A lot of people believe that the Senate was, you know, a result of the House of Lords. And I think it partly was that they saw that as a place for, you know, uh, legislation to, as McDonald's used to say, to just sort of uh, uh, stew a while while people were thinking about it. But he also knew the American system, which at that time, each they, the, the states were worried about it. Each separate state was worried about it when they put their country together. And they had two senators per state. And at that time, they were appointed. They were not elected. They were, and they were appointed by the legislature of each state. And so McDonald was a bit of a centralist. He didn't want to give the provinces that authority. So he took it upon himself and said, the federal government will make these appointments. These senators will represent the states. And hopefully... Um, uh, the, 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 that 
they will they will then represent the area that they come from and not necessarily be uh, be um, be part of the sort of political process that would that would jeopardize either the French language or jeopardize uh, minor, the minority uh, religious rights in Quebec or the minority rights in in the Maritimes. So that's what the Senate is essentially supposed to do. It's supposed to represent the regions of the country as best it can, and and to ensure that regions aren't overwhelmed by the by the majority populations, which is always a threat. And in a lot of ways has led to, you know, the Reform Party has led to uh, feelings of resentment in the West, uh, has led to separatists in Quebec. Uh, All of these things are part of the general dynamics of the country. And the Senate has to be serious about its job. It has to represent its interests rather than party interests. And uh, where it fails is that sometimes party interests are overwhelmed overwhelmed the regional interests. I never felt that way because we were a conservative party, and when we were government, we had a, a, a conservative prime minister, and he thought it was important for to build the strength of the West. And so I never sort of felt that I was at cross-purposes to Western, that I was voting for a bill that would harm the West. I never felt that way. Oh, good. So in a short... As, as a little his, history, but that's 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 exactly what the Senate's supposed to do. So it studies bills, it uh, it makes amendments and amendments back to the to the House of Commons. Um, oftentimes we work together, and there have been times when the House and the Senate has actually almost like a conference has worked together on making amendments, and uh, many times. And then of course senators move their own bills, which which they can do as, as members of parliament can do. We're all members of parliament. Senators are members of parliament. Okay, no, I didn't really know that. So a Senate bill, like say, okay, yourself as senator, you could introduce bill, I guess it would be S1, for example, into the House of Commons and would be debated there or, or is it debated in the Senate yeah. first and then sent down? Or? Which, yeah, it has to pass both houses. So I introduced a couple of bills. I introduced a, a bill on Indian self-government, uh, uh, at one time, and so as long as your bill doesn't spend money, right? It's it's as soon as it as soon as it spends money. In other words, if I I can't move a bill that would create a government department or a government agency because that would require the expenditure of cash, and only and only the elected members can do that, and the executive branch can authorize it. So. So it would be considered out of order. Someone would challenge that bill, and it would be considered out of order. But maybe change the criminal code, maybe to set up, as as I try to do in my bill, to set up another system of self-government for First Nations people. Uh, and I also moved a, a, a bill on victims of terrorism, which became which became government legislation. So I know a little bit about it. And and so as long as you don't spend money, you can move a bill. And bills take a long time. Both my bills, one bill never got passed, which was on Indian self-government, too bad. And the other bill took five years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. five years, yeah. And finally, uh, Prime Minister Harper made it a government bill and passed it with a budget. (laughs) So I thought that was great. (laughs) Yeah, well, at least it finally got through, so. (laughs) Yeah, well. But it got done. It got done, and and both he wanted it and I wanted it, and the Conservative Party wanted it. So, so that's the way they did it. Decided to do it. 
Okay. Now, um, since you mentioned Conservative Party and your relationships with uh, Mr. Mulroney, Mr. Harper, etc., I'll just jump into this question because, I mean, up until Justin Trudeau took over, there was a Liberal caucus, there was a Conservative caucus in the Senate. Does the Conservative caucus, for example, vote according to the leader of the Conservative Party uh, in the in the House of Commons, or do you have some autonomy on your own? We have autonomy. Uh, and a lot of times, a lot of times, senators have voted against their own government, okay. right? And conservative senators, I never have. Uh, but don't forget, I was only a member of the government during the Harper years. Uh, so the rest of the time, I was in opposition. But there were times when the the liberal, uh, you know, liberals voted against their own government. Uh, and of course, the liberals were in the, in the majority of the time that that I, I was in the Senate. So yes, it happens. Um, sometimes, sometimes what will happen if the majority is large enough, and it happened in our caucus on a number of occasions, when we knew we had the votes for a bill and some people were really opposed to him, we we didn't we didn't there was no pressure put on him. Uh, Mr. Harper was very careful about it. Mr. Harper, ne- I don't remember. You know, I don't. I never got a call from Mr. Harper telling me how I had to vote, and I don't think anybody else did. Actually, if there was ever a prime minister who, 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 who was falsely accused of doing it and never did it, it was him. Well, and he was falsely accused of a lot of things that I, uh, I don't yeah. think believe he was guilty yeah. of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was him. Now, Cretchen is a whole different story. I mean, they used to. I mean, the chief of staff to Prime Minister Cretchen used to sit upstairs in the gallery and watch the caucus, watch his caucus, watch what was going on. And boy, you didn't cross him. You did not cross him. And, and, and there are a lot of speeches in the Senate who verify exactly what I said, oh that this happened to them. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, so uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the pot kettle calling the kettle black often. And uh, in this particular case, uh, Harper was often accused of things that he was never, ever you know, I don't remember him. I don't know of anybody that he called. Uh, there was pressure put on by our own leader from time to time in the Senate, but that's that was her job. Her job was to make sure that government bills got passed. That was her job, and right. her only job, really, and to hold us together as best she could. No, that's fair enough. No, I. Uh, yep. On on our show, I have often referred to Stephen Harper as Canada's greatest living prime minister. So, uh, so that'll tell you my opinion of Mr. Harper. So yeah. um, now yeah. another person who served with Stephen Harper uh, is Jay Hill. Now he was an MP for a lot of years. He's currently the leader of the Maverick Party. And, yes, I know Mr. Hill. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're not going to like what I'm about to read from Mr. Hill. He did an interview with Political last month in July of 21. And I just want to get your reaction to this. It's a bit of a long one. He said, quote, Our current Senate is a farce. I would question what good the Senate does. One of the primary functions is to provide a sober second look at legislation, but it does no good if you don't have the credibility of being elected or accountable. As people know, senators are appointed until age 75 and they operate in a vacuum where they aren't accountable to anybody and they don't look out for the less populated regions of the country, like Alberta, for example. How do you respond to Mr. Hill? Well, I think I think he's right, right? I think he's right. Um the the senate now especially the senate now when the, when i when i was in the senate before before trudeau uh, we i mean we're part of the national caucus 
as a Senate, as a Senate, we're part of the National Caucus. We're expected to go along with the National Caucus. We're not expected to, we're not expected to not represent and represent what our party, our party wants and our party argues for. And that's been taken away by Trudeau. These independent senators, or they calls them independent, but they're all a bunch of left wingers. Every every one of them. There may be one or two that be moderately conservative. That's it. And they don't represent anybody. Once they get in there, they're supposed to represent their province, but they they don't go to national caucus. They don't know what the national party is talking about. They don't know what the elected members are doing. They have no idea because they don't go there. So they only are instructed to do by the prime minister's office. And, and they and they and they uh, they they have a small cabal that's called uh, the, the government party, and uh, they don't even call themselves. They're just government members. That's the leader and the whip and the the deputy leader, and uh, they handle all the legislation and they make sure that uh, the other left wingers, uh, you know, um, do what they're supposed to do, which is pass liberal legislation. I I, th- I think Mr. Hill is is right, and people should know what's going on in the Senate today, and it ain't a pretty picture as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I was actually going to ask you, too, about the independent senator's idea, which we all know is a farce, because if you look at the, the latest crop, and uh, I had to tip uh, your former colleague, Denise Batters, she shared on social media how of the current or the last eight senators that Trudeau has appointed since June— Five were big donors to the Liberal Party of Canada. One was a a union activist who ran anti-CPC ads in the 2019 election. One was uh, connected to the Trudeau Foundation. Two of them were former uh, Liberal candidates federally who who failed. So I I have a really hard time believing that any of this this crop is, quote, independent. So it's almost like saying independent in name only. None of them are independent. None of them are independent. That's, you know... First of all, independent means doesn't mean anything. The fact that you don't believe, belong to a political party doesn't make you independent at all. All it does is says you don't belong to a political party. But if you're ideologically a left winger, well, you're going to be very comfortable with Prime Minister Trudeau, and that's who he's appointing. He's not appointing any conservatives. He's not trying to find a balance in the Senate. He's not trying to develop a real independent Senate. He has no interest in that. That's all a farce. And CBC, CTV, Globe and Mail, even the National Post, they should be exposing this stuff, and they're not. It's very, very upsetting, and it's, and it's, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're creatures of the liberal government. Uh, you know, CBC, CTV, they're all creatures. Of, as far as I'm concerned, they're all creatures of the liberal government. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you on that. Now, the yep. one thing I do have to question, though, about the independent senators, and since you were there to see some of these uh, quasi-caucuses form, is, isn't there a certain uh, research funding model that, the, that each caucus needs? So isn't there a certain group of numbers or a certain number that each caucus has to have in order to get research funding? Well, yeah, they have to have nine, not nine members, right? So each each senator gets each senator gets so much money in his own budget. And I'm not sure if they, since, you know, I, I don't know what's happened since I left. I, I don't know what's happened in this parliament. All, all I know is that, that all these groups that are forming, they all get, 
they all they all get uh, a certain amount of money for research, and so and 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 they're working hard at having recognized groups, and they may have done that already. And then each leader and deputy leader and whip will all get extra salaries. Now I don't know how many groups there are now. There's got to be half a dozen in there, but. <laughs> None of them are recognized political parties. Like you're, you should be affiliated with a recognized political party that's that's recognized by Elections Canada. None of them are, except except the Conservative Party. They're the only party that's in the Senate that represents that that is that is as authorized as a political party under Elections Canada. All the rest are just a bunch of guys and girls getting together and saying, well, we're a group and uh, we want our money and uh, they're all going to get leaders' money, they're all going to get deputy leaders' money, they're all going to get whips' money, they're all going to get caucus chairs' money. It's, it's, it's a sham. It's a sham. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. What He's destroying the Senate is what Trudeau is doing. Well, it sounds like it, yeah. And, uh, yeah, hold on, I'll just oh. <laughs> shut this, shut this damn thing off. Technology. <laughs> so, um, okay, sorry about that. No, no problem at all. So, I guess that would be why Miss um, Batters again had had published that the Senate is becoming grotesquely more expensive, and I guess this is exactly why. That's exactly why. That okay. is exactly why. Okay, so that uh, is exactly know, why. So we know that at least there will never be an NDP senator because the NDP of course wishes to abolish the Senate. But uh, from what you're saying, it almost sounds like Mr. Trudeau is attempting to achieve that goal for them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of NDP. I'm sure there are a lot of people who vote. I shouldn't say a lot. There is people in the Senate who vote NDP. They don't belong to an NDP caucus because the NDP won't accept them because they want to abolish the Senate. Right. Uh, but a lot of people are going to get even if they knew what was going on, they'd even be more frustrated about what's going on in the Senate. Well, that's scary. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, uh, well, I think I I think I think when you when you eradicate the party system in the legis in the legislative process, you eradicate a fundamental part of our democratic institution. The Senate needs to be political. That's why it's there. It's to be a political group that represents the regions. And so, but, and, and, and they're divided by, they should be divided by the same kind of parties that exist in the House of Commons, or at least parties that are, that are, that are listed under Elections Canada. So right now, none of that exists. And so, uh, it's going to get worse and worse, and uh, that's why we have to defeat the Liberals in the next election. That's what has to happen. The liberals have to be gone for the Senate to regain its feet and regain its stature. Well, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the Liberals have to be gone. Um, now, my co-host Lewis and I both are big fans of a triple-E Senate. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I don't, I don't have any... I'm, I was never sure about a triple E Senate. I was never sure even about an elected Senate. I supported Mr. Harper. He was my leader. And I argued for an elected Senate that would be elected by each province. And whether this, and, and that this, the provinces would run the election and they would elect their representatives. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of agree with that. 
Um, the House of Commons doesn't want it, though. The House of Commons will will never will never will never accept that. And I don't think that I don't think that you'll be, you'd be able to get a constitutional amendment to do that. Should we try? Well, I think it's worth the experiment if we do it right. Uh, uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, I know to me, let sleeping dogs lie. And so I would have liked. I know I, I want I want the Senate to at least return to the institution that it used to be, which is a political institution uh, that represents political parties in Canada and political ideas in Canada. And uh, not an not an independent Senate made up of a bunch of people getting together in small groups, uh, serving their own self interest. Okay, fair enough. Now, um, in the United States, you had mentioned that they at one time appointed senators down there, until yep. suddenly the states just began electing senators, and then just based on precedent, it kind of became a going concern. Do you think that could happen here? Well, there's not there's 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 nothing wrong with look the the, the provinces could appoint senators and actually uh, that's sort of what you know what Mulroney had in mind uh, with the Meech Lake Accord uh, you know that each province would elect its own senators and those senators would be appointed by the prime minister. Well, I think that's a really you know I think I think that's the way we should try and reform the Senate. If we want to have an elected Senate, that's the way to go. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's easy for me to say I was an appointed senator all those years, but I did support an elected Senate. I did work on Senate reform. I, I served on the committee on Senate reform. Uh, and uh, But I think the way the Senate is going now, man, oh, man, it's going to be a very, very difficult task. These, these people are in there for a long time. They are, yeah, and... Um... So, it, so would it indeed it would take a constitutional change in order to, you know, formally uh, put in elected senators? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think you should do that. Okay, and yeah, I'm all for it. And I, uh, it really bothers me as a Canadian, especially as a Western Canadian. I mean, I'm born and raised in the prairies, and it bothers me that the Maritimes, with you know a combined population of a little over two million people, have more senators than we have on all the prairies. And I just yes, think there needs to be some way to address that inequity. But again, I'm, I bet you we have to open the Constitution for that, don't we? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, we. Yes, we would. And I don't think I don't think that people would buy it. First of all, the Senate isn't supposed to be representative government. The representative government should be the elected members of Parliament. That in the House of Commons, the Senate should be represented regionally and it should be equal for each reason for region for it to be effective. Quebec will never buy a situation where there's more senators in western Canada than their you know because of their population they're not they're not going to buy that what they want to see is each, I've I've always said the prairies is a separate region therefore I think BC should get six senators because British Columbia is different than the prairies and has separate interests than the prairies. And I think there should have been 24 senators in the in the in the prairies. I actually spoke about that in the in the in the Senate and the six in British Columbia, and then leave the 24 in the in the uh, in the Maritimes and the 24 in Quebec, 24 in Ontario, and the three upstairs. And uh, we because we do have four separate regions, and that's the sort of the same idea 
as Newfoundland with the Maritimes. The Maritimes got 24 senators. That's three provinces, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, and then there's six in Newfoundland. Well, we could do 24 in the prairies and, 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 and also have, you know, whether it's, whether it's 10 or whether it's six, but we should have, there should be senators representing the region of British Columbia. Yeah, well, I agree Maybe with that. Maybe 24. And, but uh, Quebec won't go for 24. They lose their mind. <laughs> true, yeah. But I, I like the way you think, though. Uh, and actually, um, my co-host, Lewis, lives in British Columbia, so he would actually be quite happy to hear you say that, too. That's uh, yeah. To me, that would actually be a very effective representation. So uh, I, liked, I, liked your, I like all of that. I like the idea of having, because that, would, to me, would be as close enough to an equal Senate to, uh, to, to appease, I think, a lot of voters in Western Canada, for sure, so... For sure. And I organized in British Columbia. It's not that I don't know British Columbia. So, you know, I was an organizer for the Silk Reds. I, you know, I worked all the Columbia River country, Prince George in the 80s. I did, I did all of those things. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I can say as a conservative, I knocked doors all the way from Victoria, all the way to Charlottetown, oh right? And actually, I, I knocked doors for a leadership. I worked for a, a guy who ran for leader in Newfoundland once. So, oh, uh, so I actually have worked almost every province in Quebec, in Canada except Quebec. Oh, that's fantastic. So, uh, yeah. All right. So I want to move on to um, a, a fun fact I had pointed out before I even met you, and, the, and that was that the Senate has not rejected a piece of government legislation for 25 years. And it turns out, you were part of that Senate that rejected government legislation. Uh, what can you yeah, tell me about I, that? and I worked hard to reject it, too. Excellent. I worked hard to reject it, yeah. Okay, and what legislation and was, was that, and when was that? It was, the, le, the le, I'll tell you, the le, it was Senator Sparrow from, from uh, Saskatchewan, and I became friends in the Senate. And uh, Senator Sparrow was the guy who voted with us. He was the only liberal who voted with us. And what happened was, is that in the, in the 1993 election, the liberals ran a great big campaign saying that the Tories um, uh, were corrupted by the Toronto airport. And there's a Toronto airport scandal and handed a contract to the former president of the Conservative Party to build Terminal 3. Well, uh, along with the Brothmans, they were going to build Terminal 3. And, gee, I can't even remember the name of the president. Galdarn, I'd really feel bad about that. And so uh, uh, the president of the Conservative Party that they were accusing of this. So after that election, after the election, we, we were the majority because we had more members than the Liberals. We set up a, a Pearson Airport inquiry, and we did a, a Pearson Airport study on exactly what happened. And, of course, it was all a bunch of balderdash. There was never, there was never any connection between – and all the bureaucrats agreed. It wasn't just political, politicals who agreed. The bureaucrats all said this was a fair process and that there was never any interference by Brian Mulroney or anybody from the cabinet in handing the contract to the people who got the contract. So when the, when the, when, when after that happened, what the liberal government did is they made a move, and what they did is they passed legislation to cancel the contract, 
even though it was a legitimate contract, they moved legislation to cancel the contract, but they had one little thing in there that was interesting. It prevented the people who were affected by the cancellation from suing the federal government. In other words, they took away their rights to a fair and just trial. They took away their rights. They took away their civil rights in that legislation. And we said, well, look at, you know, I know that we got defeated and we only got two members, conservative members, but we can't let this go by. This is why the Senate exists, to protect the right of people to go to court and get justice. That's, <laughs> that's the essence of Canada, that everyone has a right to do that. Whether you like the person or not, they have a right to do that. And so we took it upon ourselves to oppose this legislation with as much fury and as much political skill as we could. We dragged the thing out. We did a, I thought we did a really great job. We, we created a lot of doubt in the Liberal caucus. Some Liberal members decided not to participate in the vote. They didn't show up for the vote. And Senator Sparrow, to his credit, and, and I had a lot to do with convincing him of that because we worked together on this. And S Senator Sparrow voted with the Conservatives and it ended up as a tie. And a tie is a loss. And the, and the bill got defeated. And that was it. That was a big deal. And, uh, and then the Prime Minister hated it. And uh, he, the, 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 liberal, the Liberal caucus was not friendly to Senator Sparrow for a long time after that. But I, I, Senator Sparrow did the right thing. That's what he did. He did the right thing. Well, that's and that was, that was the last time that re it said it happened, right? It was, yeah. And that's why I thought I, yeah. I, I, it, just, it, yeah. it actually kind of bothers me that, that it's been 25 years since the Senate has turned down government legislation because that just adds credibility to people's accusation that the Senate is just effectively a rubber stamp. Now, uh, Pamela Wallen, to her right. credit, when uh, Bill C-10 hit the Senate, um, came right out and said in a, in a tweet that we are not the rubber stamp for the government and they can't just drop legislation on our lap right at the end of a parliamentary session. And thank God for her, because C-10 now is is going to die on the order paper when this federal election gets called. Yes. And, well, you know, C-16, which was... Uh, legislation that, if you remember, Jordan Peterson made his name with C-16, oh, yes. which basically made criminals out of people for what they said, what they said, not, which, which is, when you do, when, 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 when governments start doing that, you're taking away freedom of speech. It's, it had nothing to do with, it had nothing to do with LBGTQ rights. What it had to do with was saying that a person had to refer to a person in a certain way. In other words, they were, you were forced to do it. And, I mean, that's unbelievable that they would do that in a bill. I mean, I, I oppose that bill. Many people oppose that bill. And, um, uh, and, and that bill, that's a bill that should have been defeated because, because it, it affected the right of free speech. And we're, we're there to protect those kind of rights. If we don't protect those rights... Why are we there? Why do we even exist as a Senate? We shouldn't exist if we don't protect those rights. If we don't protect freedom of speech, we don't protect constitutional rights, we should not even be there. We should not exist. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and you're right, Jordan Peterson just spoke up and said, no, I will not be compelled to utilize the, these pronouns and whatnot, and uh, good for exactly. him. I'm a big, I'm a big and fan of And it's not that he had anything, he, he, he couldn't care less what a person was. Right. Right? But he, 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 could, he, he believed he shouldn't be forced, forced to say something that he did not agree with, right? Exactly. So, I mean, I mean that's just the way it is, and... Uh, and so, uh, so I, I think that it's uh, so. I think it was a horrible thing that bill got passed, and that freedom of speech was uh, was uh, was basically dismissed. So Jordan Peterson was vilified for a while, but it made him famous because he stood up for something that was really, really important. Yeah, I I, I, I really like Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So we're getting close to our time here. So I do want to ask you. Um, you've already kind of re- re- alluded to it in our prior conversation um try and give us some good news what uh where do you see the future of the senate what do i see the future of the senate yeah i see the future of the senate as in a positive way with a conservative government uh i see the demise of the senate with a re-election of a liberal government well and by demise i mean ineffective and irrelevant not, not that they won't exist. They'll all be carrying their pay packages and their pensions, but they will be irrelevant and ineffective. They have no connection to any political party in the province, uh, in the country, let alone the province. They have no connection to anybody. So how can they be an effective governing force? Impossible. Yeah, I think... Impossible. That... People don't... The thing is, you know, they don't... People don't people don't think about how important political parties are to the process. If there are no political parties, there's no democracy. Democracy does not exist. You have to have political parties and a system in a civil society that understands that political parties are necessary and that political parties operate in a, in a democratic way. And you, t- you take that away and you vilify political parties like the media does all the time, as if not belonging to a political party means you're a, be- a better politician than belonging. No, you're not. You're only representing yourself. When you, when you belong to a political party, you become a part of a team that represents ideas that are important to the country. And uh, you can go ahead by yourself and do whatever you want and run around the place and call yourself whatever, but you, you won't be effective unless you, you join with people of like mind that will help you out and therefore they will, they will then, they will more rep- they will represent the, the people in the country who believe in the same thing. Yep. It just makes me crazy when people, you know, vilify for political parties, when political parties you know, the, the, our, all our democratic institutions wouldn't exist without political parties. Yep, I could not agree more. Now, um, so our exit question here uh, goes through our, our phone call we had just uh, yesterday to set this interview up. Um, I had done a rant on this podcast on Saturday saying that Canada is the most overgoverned country in, on earth. And then you told me about all the, the COVID loops you had to jump through to get home. And it really helped make my point. So would you mind just indulging our audience for a minute or two about your trip home? Uh, <laughs> you really want me to go through all that? Well, I do. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so what happens is we're going to the States to see my, my daughter and her family. So we're going to Green Bay. Uh, so Sharon and I 
we take a, we take a COVID test here in Canada uh, to go to the States. And the state, the United States, they, they, they recognize a number of COVID tests, including one that you get the results in about 15, 20 minutes. They give it at the airport here. So my wife and I went over there the day before we left. We took the test. We waited, hung around the airport for 15, 20 minutes. We got the results. We're ready to go the next day. We got on the plane. We landed in Minneapolis. We landed in Green Bay. We went to my daughter's place. That was it. Nobody, the only thing they did is check it when we got on the plane. That was it. When on our return, they don't accept the that, that test. The Canadian government doesn't accept that test. It's obviously too easy. So not that it isn't effective. There's no evidence that I can find that it's not effective. It just seems that they don't want to do that. So you have to take a test that's, you know, 72 hours or three days. And that's really not clear about whether it's 72 hours or three days. It's kind of like a bit crazy because if your plane's late and you run an hour late uh, on the COVID test, does that make it, you know, irrelevant? So we had to. We went to a clinic because we were leaving on Tuesday. We went to a clinic in Green Bay. We got our test at quarter to twelve because they closed at twelve o'clock. We got the results Monday. Then we went to Walgreens. We took another test in case the seventy-two rule applied because our plane left at one o'clock, which would meant we'd be awful close to seventy-three hours. So we took another test in case we got thrown off that plane, which would be good then for the Wednesday. So. So now we're at three tests that we've done. We get on the plane. And we I filled out the Canada Arrive Canada app. I, I uploaded uh, my our vaccination, both from my wife and myself. Uh, uploaded our vaccinations. Uploaded the results of the tests. Filled out the passport, the driver's license. My good God, did they want stuff? So they got all the stuff on that on that app, and then. We uh, got on the plane in in uh, Green Bay, no problem. Went to um, uh, went to um, uh, Minneapolis. Had to go through that same process. Like we had to, you know, show them everything. And you know, I said, well, we already did this once. Yeah, we got to do it again. So fine, we did that. But it was not. It wasn't a big deal. Then we get on the plane, fly to Calgary, go through customs, no big deal. And then we're stopped. And you know why we're stopped? We're stopped to fill out a form that took all the same information that we put on the Arrive Canada app. Because the government of Alberta was administrating something that the federal government required, which was, guess what, another COVID test. <laughs> so we had done one on the, on, before we left. On the on the on the Tuesday, so we we uh, uh, so when we left Wednesday, so we had gone one on Tuesday. We took one on Saturday. We took one on Sunday, and then by God, on Tuesday when we landed in Canada, we had to do another COVID test, and we're fully vaccinated. <laughs> and then we had to fill out the form. It took us an hour and fifteen minutes from when we got through security to when they let us go. It was it was a. It was unbelievable that that you know you think that governments would talk to each other like they you don't are, even yeah. recognize the same tests. It's it's incredible that it's 
and 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 there's seventy percent of the business of Canada and United States. I mean, they're our biggest customers, and actually, we're one of their biggest customers. If they, they don't realize it, but but we are. Canada buys a lot of stuff from Americans. Oh yeah. So there's trucks going by all the time. We're the biggest trading partners in the world, and 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 to think that this this is going on on our on our planes and our passengers for Canadians who are fully vaccinated. We have to take those tests in the states, and then as soon as we land, we got to take them again. Yeah, unbelievable. It is, and, and, and fill out all those papers. You know, in other words, you know, what the hell? <laughs> Why don't you just take take the Arrive Canada app and download the stuff there, and then you're, it's all there. That's why you have it on. That's why you have computers so you can do stuff like that. But obviously, that that didn't work out that well. So it was was not a good experience coming home. It was no problem going there. It's easier to get out than it is to come in. Yeah, and you know, sadly enough... Uh, the opposite of Hotel California, I think. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's always been that way. It's always easier to, to leave It's always easier to leave Canada than to come back. Even in my, my trucking days across the border, it was always easier yeah. to, to go get into the States than to come to Canada. And that was why I wanted yeah. you to share this story because it's just there's so many layers of bureaucracy and they've all got to get their pound of flesh. And it, that's why nothing gets done in this country. Yeah. So uh, our, our, our country's bureaucracy federally, it's a, you know, uh, it, it is a swamp in Ottawa. There's no question about it. Uh, and they're a privileged class and, uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it's too bad, but it exists everywhere. Uh, and and all across it exists all across the world. Bureaucrats are gaining way more control. Look what's happening in the United States with uh, with COVID. It's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's an unmitigated disaster, um, and it's 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 a horrible thing that they didn't, you know, that there are states where kids have not gone to school for a, over a year, like. Like I don't know why people don't rise up and 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 demand that the schools open. That's one thing we learned. Americans learned for sure is that they don't control the schools. They're, 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 nobody, the parents no longer control the schools, and that's a horrible thing. When my when my wife taught school, every any parent who wanted to watch her teach a class was invited. That's the way it used to be. That's what I was taught in education when I took it. That we represented the we represented the parents. We didn't we didn't represent ourselves. We represented the interests of the parents and passing on the culture and knowledge to their children. That's what we were that's what we were taught in the Department of Education. I doubt that exists at any university in North America today. No, we've definitely come a long way in the wrong direction, haven't we? Yeah, in a total wrong direction. And given power to teachers to decide what should be taught to their children is beyond comprehension. That's a, that's parents. That's, that's, par, that's a parental right that's being taken away. That's, that's what's going on. That's what's going on in the States. And I guarantee you it's going on here too. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, looks yeah. like we got our time, Mr. Tkachuk. I kept you a little longer than I had planned. And I thank you so much for the conversation. I've, uh, I've had a great time with this. And Great. I've learned a lot. Hopefully our listeners have as well. And thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope we'll talk again. That was fun. Love to do it again. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. And that was former Senator David Tkachuk. 
And I hope you got as much out of that as I did, Canada. And we will talk to you again soon.